it really does affect absolutely everything we do, which is why I think that climate change is the single most important issue of this generation, and surely that my generation will face. This is Climate Conversations by ClimateX. Before we get started, a quick note. If you haven't yet, please listen to episodes two through four in this season on Learning to Change, where we tell the stories of three groups who have modeled our season theme. We had to cut so much good stuff out to create those stories, so now we're releasing extended cuts of the individual interviews. We hope you'll like them as much as we do, and that they lead you to a richer appreciation for what it means to learn to change. In this episode, we interview Susan Tang, co-president of YouthCan and a senior at the Boston Latin School. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me. So, Susan, you're in high school, and yet you are deeply committed to climate action. Mm-hmm. How come? I think I first got involved or like interested in issues of climate change way back in sixth grade when for class we had to read Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. And that really opened my eyes to like a lot of issues like sea level rise and all sorts of things that I felt were really deeply important. But since I was only in sixth grade at the time, I didn't really have like a means to really do anything. I didn't have like a great support network. So you didn't network. go out and protest when you were in sixth grade? <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah, so it was only after I came to BLS and I found this network with YouthCan that I was able to actually take action against the things I'd only like read about before. Mm. And how'd you get involved? Was it first at uh, Boston Latin or how did you get exposed to YouthCan? First at Boston Latin, I, in eighth grade, my history teacher was Miss Arnold, and she's the faculty advisor for BLS Youth Can. So throughout the year, she was just promoting a bunch of different events, mostly for extra credit so she could drag some kids in. But I went to some of these events, and I got involved in the club, and she's sunk her claws in me, and I've been in here ever since. <laughs> I know those teachers. <laughs> so are your peers as excited or as passionate about climate change as you are, or is this still a growing movement? It's definitely still a growing movement. So back in seventh grade, our first year at the school, we had this big assembly done by the Alliance for Climate Education, and they told the entire class, which is like 400, 450 people, about climate change, rising sea levels, species extinction, and how all of these things tie into different social justice issues. And that was a really great way to introduce a whole lot of people into climate change. But everyone in my grade, I'm pretty sure, knows that climate change is real, knows that it's a pressing issue. But it's really hard to keep people engaged in climate change, especially since most of its effects are way down the line. Like, we'll see sea level rise by, like, Well, it's happening now, but most people think it's like, oh, it's a thing of the future. It's not going to happen until 2030, 2050. So they put it off in their minds and instead focus on different issues, like maybe how the headmaster was trying to restrict our dress code or more pressing issues that people feel like they could identify more with. So I feel like while, yes, people are interested in climate change, and yes, they know it's an issue, they have other things that they feel are more pressing, which is kind of frustrating, but it's just how it is. So how do you approach your peers when they give that kind of response? Mostly, I feel like telling them about big facts, like, oh, 
sea level rises in Boston are projected to rise, what, a foot by 2030. And it's only going to get worse from here. And I feel like big facts like that are like how extinction rates are up a significant amount because of human-caused climate change and stuff like that. If we use those statistics, I feel like people start to think about it more, especially since we live in Boston and sea level rise is actually really bad <laughs> and it's such a pressing issue. I feel like it makes people think about the issue in a different way. Also, I'm guessing that a number of people at Boston Latin know somebody or have relatives that will be affected. On, yeah, definitely. That live on the coast or near the coast and yeah. mm -hmm. their lands will be flooded. So it's mm -hmm. not off in the distance or somebody else, but it's people they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we saw like earlier this year with all of the different blizzards that came through, we already saw like huge amounts of flooding downtown Long Wharf near the aquarium, also in places like Quincy. And it was just like you couldn't even go outside. The water was that deep. Mm -hmm. So what are the top priorities uh, for you this coming year as the president? Definitely education. We're still always wanting to push people to learn more about climate change. Most of the projects that we work on during the year are education-based, but I think I want to also work a little more on outreach. Last year, we dabbled a little bit, like we talked about how we wanted to partner with like elementary schools or middle schools and teach kids about climate change, but we didn't really get the opportunity to do that. So since it's my last year, I really want to help cement something and try to make a change with like people that are even younger than I am. So when you say we, you mean youth can at Boston Latin or do you mean a youth can more broadly or what's what's the what's the size of the we here? When I was talking just now, I was thinking just youth can in general. It's a club of maybe like 20 ish people in our school from different grade levels. So I feel like we'd be able to like do something with it. How do you envision cementing it? Like, what does that look like? So it definitely involved reaching out to a lot of different schools. I know there are a couple different elementary schools in the Fenway area, which is where BLS is located. And it'd be really cool to be able to like go to them after school because we get out at like 2.15 and other schools get out later. So it'd be cool to like maybe sit in and like maybe teach a class about climate change or something like that. Has that ever happened? I don't think it has. Like in the, since YouthCan is like a relatively young club, they've mostly been focused internally on like what they can do at BLS to make it more green. So they've done things like lighting retrofits where they make all of the lights LED or motion censored so that we can save on our energy bills. Or they've done things like install water bottle filling stations to eliminate plastic bottle waste from the student population. So it's mostly been focused internally. And while that's great, that's absolutely awesome. I think it'd also be really cool to focus on other schools that might not have the opportunity to do those things. So what opportunities have opened up for you through your involvement in YouthCan over the last couple of years? So through YouthCan, I was able to get a fellowship with the Alliance for Climate Education, I think two years ago, which was really an eye-opening experience for me. It taught me so much more about the political side or the networking side. So we were able to go and speak to city councilors about climate change. We were able to organize like an actual rally about climate change, which was like absolutely awesome. So YouthCan has been a really great home base for me to come back to. And it's also been a great springboard for me to go explore other things like ACE, the Alliance for Climate Education. And 
the great thing about Youth Can is that you always have a supply of fresh, new, uh, you know, kids coming up into the high school. But you also have, you know, you'll be graduating in a year plus from now, right? So how do you maintain a certain kind of continuity of interest or what happens once you graduate? So Miss Arnold has always been absolutely amazing in recruiting people and keeping us on track. Like, without Miss Arnold, we would not be BLS Youth Can. After I graduate, we already have like a sort of next generation of Youth Can leaders that are coming up. They're all rising sophomores. And we've been sort of like teaching them the ins and outs of like what we have to do, like sending emails and other administrative stuff. So I want to like maybe usher them into more of a leadership role so that youth can can still continue on even after me and the other co-presidents have graduated. Mm-hmm. And what was the event at MIT this past spring? There was a summit, I think, that got organized. Mm-hmm. Was that with other high schools as well or just BLS? So BLS Youth Can, we're the ones that organize the summit. We have an annual climate summit at MIT every year in May. It's been going on since Youth Can's inception back in 2007. Mm. And so it does engage a lot of BLS kids. We invite everyone to attend the summit and learn more about different climate issues. We have different workshops, different exhibits, different keynote speakers, performances, all sorts of things. But it also does engage other schools from other towns and from all over Boston. So I think the one big outreach thing that BLS does do is the Youth Can Summit. It's sort of our defining project every year. And towards the end of the school year, so mm-hmm. it's sort of ca- it's a capstone it in is. a way. Any highlights that you want to bring out and let our <laughs> listeners know about from the summit this past year? So this year we had this really cool musical group I think they were called like Melodigo, and they were a musical group, but all of their equipment was bike powered. So all of their like (laughs) stereos, all of their mics, and they had these like bikes and they had people from the audience like come in and like pedal on them so that it would power all of their equipment. And it was like really cool. So you could tell when like someone got tired and left and someone else filled in for them that like couple seconds before it got filled in, the mics would like cut out because um, (laughs) there'd be no one pedaling. And it was just like really cool to see that. I think people really liked that. Oh, I hope somebody took a YouTube video of that. Oh, I'm sure there's something out there. (laughs) They're awesome. Uh Uh-huh, nice. Very interesting. And so you were mentioning how, you know, BLS serves as a hub. How do you get other schools involved? And let's say there's a school that isn't involved right now. How do they get in touch or what's the procedure for getting them into YouthCan? So I believe the whole idea of YouthCan when it was first founded was a climate action network of youths. So mm-hmm. as in it was supposed to be a thing branching out to like other schools. Mm-hmm. I know we have there's a YouthCan at Boston Latin Academy, but they're not as big as us and we're like not in very frequent contact. So I think in order to make like an actual cohesive network, we'd have to do a lot more outreach, like writing emails to other schools and definitely picking or like finding a faculty advisor that's also passionate about climate change in every school that we would reach out to. One thing I'm curious about is how your in-classroom activities and learning experiences connect to the youth can experiences. And just Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about those links there to things you're doing in the classroom or you notice other people are doing in the classroom linking to the youth can activities. Mm -hmm. This year I was 
fortunate enough to take AP Environmental Science with Mr. Gay. He's an amazing teacher. And this class really, op- like, well... Flash alert. We've actually podcasted him in the past. He's awesome. A year ago, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, so while YouthCan did give me, like, a good background on climate change, I feel like AP Environmental Science really really helped me dive so much deeper into climate change and all of the interconnectedness of its nature and how it really affects everything we do today. In terms of like how YouthCan is active in other classrooms, I know that so we have a lot of data that YouthCan has collected about or through different audits that we've done like water audits like based on how much water we use, paper towel audits, so like how much paper towel waste we produce, trash audits, so how much trash we produce as a school. And I know some statistics classes have actually been using this information like in their courses, which I think is really cool. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. So somebody must have visualized or at least crunched that data. Mm-hmm. Did the school do anything about it? So YouthCan has done a whole lot of audits in the past. And when we get that sort of data, it really gives us a great baseline for what we should do our projects on. So if we see that our electricity usage is like crazy high, then that year we might try to focus on different ways that we can get our electricity usage to go down. So like, I think last year we did this campaign where we made like a bunch of door hangers for classrooms that just reminded teachers to turn off their lights. And sure enough, we saw the electricity usage go down. So it's really great to have that sort of data to give us a great baseline to, first of all, show what we should be focusing our projects on. And second of all, to show how our projects have affected the school with quantitative data. So that your fellow students and the teachers, for that matter, see you're making a difference. Definitely. Yeah. You know, at MIT, we really don't care about quantitative data at all. <laughs> really? That's surprising. <laughs> Are there other such data-driven projects that you can tell us? So when we got the water bottle fillers installed, they have this little number thing that shows us how many plastic water bottles that it would have saved from the landfill by using a reusable water bottle with the water bottle filling station. And those, (laughs) so I remember when we first got them, students were like obsessed with those numbers. They'd be like, oh my God, this like went up like a thousand in the past week. Or they'd like have competitions. They'd be like, oh, this water fountain was only at like 10,000 or that one's at 20,000. So this one's obviously better and stuff like that. They'd be like competing with like different water bottle filling stations to see which one could save more water. And it was just like, really cool to see that happen throughout the student body. I feel like these kinds of small nudges can sometimes (laughs) be pretty interesting. Yeah, they get students talking. Yeah. Yeah, That's important to engage everybody in a conversation about Mm -hmm. what's going on and how they can play a part. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm curious about is uh, compared to when you started Boston Latin uh, and now, have things changed in terms of where you think you're headed in terms of your career or (laughs) schooling in the future beyond Boston Latin? Well, yeah, definitely. So coming into BLS as a little seventh grader, I was like 13 years old. I was like, I'm going to go through this school and I'm going to be a lawyer. (laughs) And like, well, that's an awesome job. I feel like after doing youth can, after doing ACE, after taking AP environmental science, I've sort of taken a step back and looked at it and went, do I really want to do this with my life? And I think as of now, I 
instead of pursuing like law school, I'd prefer to do environmental science or environmental studies and mm -hmm. really focus on that as my career path. I think all of the things that I've done with this club have really, it's really just left me with one option or one clear option for me. And the only thing that really feels right for me to actually pursue as a career would be an environmental scientist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fabulous, yeah. And even within that, there are lots of different options Definitely. that you can do. Uh, you talked uh, in some of our earlier conversations about the notion of intersectionality and how all these different issues that people care passionately about are actually linked. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking even within environmental science, there could be a social justice angle. Absolutely. Can you say a few words about that? So climate change is such an all-encompassing issue. It really does affect every facet of our lives. It affects our economy. It affects like different social justice issues. I know because of climate change and global warming and the weather being warmer in general, what happens to elderly people who aren't going to necessarily have access to AC? What happens to people who are living in poverty who don't have access to AC? That really affects their health too. What happens when air pollution gets so bad that people can't breathe anymore? That's also a different social justice issue. What happens when sea level rise and people lose their homes, people are displaced, and then it causes the whole issue of migration with environmental refugees having to flee to different places, and then it gets all political with people closing their borders and all sorts of stuff like that. It really does affect absolutely everything we do, which is why I think that climate change is the single most important issue of this generation, and surely that my generation will face. So... That's awesome. <laughs> well, kind of not really. <laughs> Meaning, it's a great assessment. It's an awesome assessment of this. Meaning they would be much pickle. better if we did not have to face that reality. Uh, but yeah. it's great that you uh, that the people in your generation mm -hmm. and further on are going to have to roll up their sleeves and do whatever needs to be done. Does it feel overwhelming sometimes? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, my generation has really just been left with this huge issue that we're expected to fix because if we don't fix it, then there's going to be nothing left to fix. Like, that sounds a little bit extreme, but like things are only going to get worse unless we do something about it now. Um, so yes, it's overwhelming, but I have faith in the people of my generation. I have faith in the youth. I have faith in people like the other members of youth can and the younger members and the future members, I'm sure that together we can do something about this huge issue that we're facing right now. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the promising trends you see? Hmm. So before with the early youth can, as I mentioned, it was more about trying to change like small things in our school to make our school more environmentally friendly. It was about things that you could do as an individual, like, oh, recycle or compost or switch to a reusable water bottle. But now I feel like it's more the focus that YouthCan has taken on since, well, since I've started and like throughout that is that it's way bigger than that. We have to do things like lobby our lawmakers to not have a huge natural gas pipeline running through West Roxbury. We have to do things like ask our representatives to commit Massachusetts to 100% renewable energy. 
So while doing things as an individual is obviously great, it's not going to be as effective if we don't have the legislative power behind all of those things. Amen to that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe you'll have a dual degree, uh, <laughs> natural science and law. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. So what's it like to be a leader of that youth that really has to take this charge? I mean, you are the president of your of your group there. I mean, mm -hmm. does it feel like a lot of responsibility? Like, what's it like to be leading the charge on that? Since I'm technically co-president, it's not like all on me. So some of us will like send out emails and reminders to like youth can members for meetings and stuff. Some of us will make agendas and stuff like that. It's not just me. And I think it's really important to note that it's not individuals leaving a movement. It's sort of our whole generation or like a whole groups of people that are taking steps forward in terms of like climate change and a more sustainable future. So that being said, it is a challenging job. <laughs> There's a lot of different things we have to think about. And yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. Have you ever had either a peer or an adult be confrontational with you about this? Thankfully, most people that I've met have been really supportive. They're like, oh my God, it's so great that you're such an activist for climate change and stuff. There was this one incident. I was at a protest in like Harvard Square with someone from like the Alliance for Climate Education. And it was against this like showing of a film sponsored by Shell about how great yeah. natural gas was. So we I were, yeah, yeah. We were confronted by this one woman who like came out and was like really rude about it. She was like, Oh, why are you guys here? And she was trying to be all like confused. It's like, you guys should be happy for this. Natural gas is great for the environment. And why are you guys protesting? We're doing great work here. We're on the same side. And it was just like, wow, this is really weird. Because it was the first time that I'd been met with someone that had like such a conflicting opinion with mine. And yeah, that was <laughs> interesting. How'd you deal with it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was mostly just the person I was with who was like older, they were like a sort of mentor to me. They sort of talked them down. I was like, um, no, it's not. And it went back and forth for a while, but we like stuck it out there. So that's good. I think that's a great experience, actually. <laughs> you mentioned also that there was a partnership between mm -hmm. Boston Latin and 350 Massachusetts. Yeah, we've worked closely with like 350 Mass in the past, um, as have we with the Alliance for Climate Education, obviously with the annual assembly that we have for the incoming seventh graders, where they talk a lot about social justice issues in terms of climate change. So yeah, we have worked with them in the past. We've also worked with 350 Mass on things like converting households to renewable energies and stuff like that. So we've worked on campaigns with them before, which has been really cool. Mm -hmm. What'd you learn? Um, that campaigning is hard and it's hard to make people care about things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's really, you got to figure out what people do care about and see yeah. the way, the connection between what they care about and what you're talking. Definitely. So when we were trying to convince people to like change their, switch their households to renewable energy, mostly what people cared about was the money aspect. So we really like played that card. They were like, <laughs> oh, with renewable energies, you can save so much more money than if you just stayed with oil or natural gas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did it work? 
it worked. Yeah. <laughs> we got a bunch of signups from like different parents. <laughs> nice. Right. Yeah. I found that with some other groups, they focus on health effects mm. because everybody cares about emphysema and mm -hmm. whether they can breathe and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, health effects is another way that people have found useful to mm -hmm. engage others who might not otherwise care. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like your generation is going to take this on. Mm -hmm. Is Youth Can doing something that will sort of ramp up the action? Like, is there an idea of what the next generation of, you know, high school climate activists is going to look like? So something in recent times that I found super inspirational is the Parkland shooting survivors and how they've really amassed a huge following because of like the trauma that they faced and how they've really utilized this grassroots sort of organization to bring so many people together against such a massive issue to try to press their legislators to take action. And I find that super duper inspirational and they have such so much courage for what they're doing. So and I feel like- They're facing a lot of flack. Definitely, right? it's awful. It's like, why would you, tell this kid that they're like faking the whole thing, that they're faking the trauma when they're obviously not. <laughs> they're just speaking up for what they care about. So I feel like that really relates to climate change as an issue because in order to get legislators to care about it, we have to show that there is a bunch of like people and especially youths behind this issue of climate change. And I feel like we definitely have to appeal to like different like facets of people that are going to be affected by climate change so we can play a whole lot of different cards to get more people. So if we talk about how species are going extinct at a faster rate than since the last mass extinction, that might get people who love animals involved. And if we talk about how sea levels are projected to rise like an enormous amount within the next couple of decades that might get people living on the coast involved. So since climate change is such an intersectional issue, by appealing to like different people that are affected to it, we can definitely amass a huge network, a grassroots movement of people who are passionate about climate change and people who are willing to speak out against it. So people don't have to necessarily know about the details of climate science. They just have mm -hmm. to understand the impacts of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, it is good to like understand how it's happening. How they're going to feel is definitely going to get people involved. Mm -hmm. Each person has a little different emotional hook, I think. Yeah, definitely. So as a parting thought, how would you like to, like if some, you know, someone in your age group was listening to this podcast, which I hope they are, uh, <laughs> Is there something easy that a high school student could do to get involved in climate action? Talk to a teacher about climate change. Talk to maybe a science teacher or any teacher who might care about climate change and try to set up a club at your school about how um, about climate change, what you can do at your school to make it greener. And from there, reach out to other schools, see what they're doing, try to get them involved. Because the only way that climate change is really going to be combated with our generation is by working together and working in a network. 
There is so much power in youth. I think people, youths, don't even understand how much power they have. It's like when older generations look at us and they see like, oh, they're pressing for this issue and they're so passionate about it, then that's something that's really, really powerful. Since youths are going to be the future for our country, for our world, to have youths really passionate about an issue is what gets people going. We're really, really, we have so much say in so many different issues. And I feel like we really need to utilize that to the best of our abilities in order to make any change happen. Thank you, Susan, for spending this time with us and sharing your thoughts and all your passion. And we hope that in a couple of years, you'll be telling us about the next (laughs) exciting thing that you're doing. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this extended interview cut. Please be sure to check it out in context in the prior episode for Next Gen Learning to Change with Boston Latin School Youth Can. The Climate Conversations podcast is engineered and edited by Dave Lashansky. Project and media support is by my MIT Open Learning colleagues, Laura Howells and Michaela Joyce. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you find your podcasts. Join the community on climate.mit.edu and be in touch at Twitter, climatex underscore MIT, and Facebook, group name MIT Climate. For my co-hosts, Rajesh Kasturi-Rangan and Dave Damlor, I'm Kurt Newton. Thanks so much for listening.